0: Sup guys and welcome to With All Your Mind, one Christian's journey in exploring issues of faith and society and wondering what it might look like to think about these things well and make positive change. My name is Tom Amos and today I'm going to be thinking about the Bible. I hope you'll join me in thinking about it too. Hey guys, welcome along to the show and thank you so much for tuning in. Whether this is your first ever time listening or whether it's your eighth time listening and you've listened to every episode so far, I'm incredibly grateful for you and thank you so much for joining in. Before I get going today, I just want to ask for a little bit of your help. I'm sure you've heard this thing from any podcast you've ever listened to before, but it's totally true that no matter how good the content is that I produce on here. There's nothing I can do to control how many people listen to it. And that's where you guys come in. It would be incredibly useful for me and I'd be so grateful if you could give me your feedback. Is what I'm saying good? How could I improve it? Are there things that you would like me to talk about? Any kind of feedback like that, I would be so grateful to hear. You can message me if you have me on social media or you can email me on withallyourmind at gmail.com. Another way that you can really help is just by spreading the word. So if you found this podcast to be useful or helpful, then share an episode with a friend or put it on social media or maybe go onto apple podcasts or itunes and just leave me a little rating and review all those things help more people to come across this show and engage with it and hopefully find it useful of course as ever if there are ways in which i could be improving or this isn't particularly useful to you then there's no obligation to share but at the same time if you think this is stuff that's worth sharing then please do With all of that self-promotion out of the way though, let's get going with today's episode. Today's going to be pretty fun because we're going to start talking about something pretty different to what we've been talking about so far. In the previous series, I talked a lot in general and kind of tried to create a bit of a backdrop for things that this podcast is going to be about. Obviously, I am a Christian living in Redding, California, going to a ministry school, sitting in my bedroom discussing difficult issues and ways in which we can think about things well using all of our minds while still honouring God and I'm inviting you on this journey whether you believe in Jesus or whether you don't and hoping that you'll find useful things that will both challenge you and encourage you through what I talk about and through the guests that I bring on to talk with as well. That's kind of been where we've been so far is just discussing this idea of it's good to have an opinion how we can share our opinion in a healthy way, how we can value connection, how we can not lose sight of the fact that our conversation should be leading to action. But now I want to start honing in on a few more specific subjects. For the next few weeks we're going to talk about a subject that when we talk about the idea of honoring the Lord your God with all your mind might be one of the most important subjects to have a good understanding of and a good backdrop of information about before we really get going on that topic is the Bible. There's a huge amount that can be said about it and I have a lot that I'm sure I want to say about it. It can be a pretty controversial topic and a controversial tool when it is used and abused by people and I have seen Christians and non-Christians alike use the Bible to fit an agenda that they want to preach. So, when I handle it in this podcast, it's really important that I handle it with care and consideration. I don't want to be trying to tell you guys that my way of looking at the Bible or interpreting the Bible is the monopoly on truth. I feel like in some ways I might make life a little more complicated than you might want me to, so that I can explain that as we try and interpret the Bible and use it as a what means towards understanding how to live our lives, we are aware of all of the complexities and captivating intricacies that the Bible holds as we do this. So things aren't going to be totally straightforward, and there's going to be some things that I say today which might sound a little nerdy or a little bit in depth and I'd encourage you to google or research any of the things I say in a little more detail if you would like to. But I'm just going to get going. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is because I grew up as a Christian. I grew up going to church, going to Sunday school, listening to the Bible, having it read to me, reading it myself, using it in theological debates at school, and using it as maybe a foundation to my faith for many years. But It wasn't really until I went to university and studied the Bible that I fell in love with it. And one of the reasons I found that so interesting is because studying the Bible at a secular university, there were many people who were teaching me the Bible that had no interest in increasing my faith or improving my faith. Many of the people who taught me the Bible weren't even Christians. They just were hugely fascinated by this text and by the truths and stories and lessons that it carried. And as they taught me about the Bible, they just continually piqued my interest. And I found as I was completing my homework, as I was being taught things, as I was wrestling through issues, my love for God and my love for the church rapidly increased through this study. And interestingly, it was through being taught things that I had never heard at church, or maybe things that I feel like I would be scared to teach at church, as I was hearing those things, I actually started to love the Bible more. So there's a lot of tension with all of this. There's so many places we could go, and I'm going to try my best to keep things concise and clear and followable. But I think what I'm trying to say is that The Bible is taught in so many beautiful and amazing ways in church, but there are also many amazing traditions and academic studies into the Bible, not even sometimes done by Christians, that can hugely illuminate things for us and can create a much more beautiful picture of what the Bible is and what it was intending to do than if we just hear the same person teach it to us week after week or read it with the same lens week after week. So, that's what I want to do and I think it's particularly important in this moment to do so because the Bible informs so many issues. If you look at a lot of important societal issues such as abortion, gay marriage, transgender conversations, many people who have an opinion on this subject are using the Bible in order to bring proof to their conversation or their opinion. And there are many places in church where people are deeply opposed and sometimes unwilling to even have a relationship with each other at all based on each other's differing opinions on the Bible or things that the Bible is saying. And therefore, I think we need to really look at this thing in, in depth and understand more and more about the Bible, and as I've said already, by no means am I going to make life easier or clearer through the things that I say, but I think giving some perspective on the Bible is hugely important going forward. So that's my plan today. I've got a few things to say. Let's get on board. Let's hop into it. Okay, so the first question we should probably ask is, what is the Bible? And the simple answer to that is, It is the divinely inspired, authoritative text of the Christian faith. I think it is the best selling book of all time. It is read by millions and millions and millions of people around the world every day. But it's a little more complicated than that. So, it is in essence a number of books, it's a number of texts. Ancient texts from right across the millennia that have been bound together into one single authoritative text that the church uses in order to understand life and understand who God is, what he says, what he thinks, and how we should live in honour of him. There are many texts that we find in the Bible and there are many texts from the same communities and cultures which are not found in the Bible. So, we have what is called the Canon, that is basically just the books that are recognized as being the books which are authoritatively, divinely inspired by God. Around 382 AD, the Council of Rome It's thought that around then was when the books were canonized and we had a more or less final say on what the Bible was, which texts would be included and which wouldn't. But even then, if you look all the way through history and at various theologians and church leaders, you'll see that different versions of the Bible included different texts. Some took different texts out. There is a series of texts called the Apocrypha, which include stories of the Maccabean Revolution and various wisdom literature, it even involves some extra Psalms, and you can find those in some Bibles, such as the Catholic Bible, but you wouldn't find it in other Bibles like your ESV Study Bible or your NIV Bible. There are also examples of people like Martin Luther who just decided that certain books should never have been included in the Bible, so he quite famously struck James out of the Bible, and Jude, and Revelation, because they didn't fit his theology. So I believe in the canon, I believe in the divine inspiration of the Bible, but I also think it's complicated, and we're going to talk about why. One thing to talk about is textual criticism. So. Textual criticism is basically the study of the history of who wrote the Bible, how it was put together, the ways in which it has been edited and adapted and translated, and trying to understand how can we get the most accurate version of what existed, and how can we understand the place in which certain things have, which have been added or taken away throughout the centuries. so. It's a pretty complicated job to be a textual critic. It's actually, it's a lot of work and many hours of what would seem like quite boring work potentially to a lot of us. A lot of comparing texts, checking if the words are consistent, checking if words mean the same thing in this context as they do in this context. There are lots of places where the text has been called what we call redacted which means it's sort of been edited. So, we see that someone called a redactor has added in a little bit extra to the text, or maybe they've written... rewritten a phrase in a way that seems a bit more clarifying. Oh, this is what was really meant. And if you look in your footnotes in your Bible, almost every Bible will have footnotes which reveals parts of the text which have been redacted. Things that have been changed, things that have been added, one really obvious example is there's a story in John 8 where there's a woman caught in adultery and Jesus writes a bit on the ground and people want to stone her and Jesus says, he who is without sin casts the first stone and all the people feel guilty and they leave. That whole story is one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible in my opinion, but it was added later than many of the earlier texts of John would suggest. Now, we don't know why. We don't know who put that text in later, that story. Was it John himself? Was it someone later? Was it a story that got found and uncovered and got brought into the tradition? We don't know. Is it a part of my Bible? Yes. Do I see it as an important, authoritative story about the life of Jesus? Yes. Do I still have to reckon with the fact that it was added in a bit later and I'm not quite sure why? yes. And I think holding that tension is important. So I'm going to make three points about textual criticism, three lessons that I think we can learn from it and give us a little conclusion. And then hopefully this will springboard us into understanding a little more about the Bible in future weeks in some of the other topics that I have to talk about. So let's get ourselves stuck into this, shall we? So my first point is that The Bible was written by people and this might seem obvious but I don't know about you but there's something that I found I used to think a lot uh, as I was growing up understanding the Bible and I don't know if you've seen this trend recently on places like TikTok where you'll have a person facing a wall with a piece of paper and a person standing behind them and they have a piece of paper And the person behind them draws on the piece of paper something, a word or a picture. And the person in front of them who can't see what's being drawn on their back has to replicate that drawing on what they draw on the paper they've held to the wall. And I used to see the Bible's divine inspiration a very similar way to that. That God essentially took the hand, took the pen or whatever of the person who wrote the Bible, and he literally dictated, word for word, what needed to be on there. And I think there are people who still believe that today, but I think that does a disservice, firstly, to the intelligence of people and the trust that God puts in us. We're made in his image. So if we're people made in the image of God, I think that means that we have been given the ability to create, just as he can create. He created the universe... And now he gives us the ability to create literature and language and understanding and stories and lessons. And God has revealed himself to his people and then he has inspired them to write things about him that we can learn from even today. So I think it's a a more complicated thing than just God dictated his word. And I think the other thing is, is that The Bible was written by people, and these people were flawed, and they wrote in a context. So there were certain things, for instance, that they would have never perceived of as being wrong, that maybe we would now. The people of the Bible didn't have perfect science. So they may not have understood, for instance, that the earth was round. The people of the Bible lived in a context of slavery, and we might find some of the things they say about slavery to be jarring for today, Especially those of us who live in America and have gone through the last 250 years of history of understanding some horrendous things that have happened because of slavery. But the people in that context saw slavery very differently. And sometimes we have to read what they're saying about slavery through the lens of how slavery was viewed in the time, not through the lens of how slavery is viewed in our time and we'll find that some of the things they write are very radical, even if we wouldn't agree with them today, and I think that's alright. And understanding genre of the Bible, understanding the assumptions of the people who wrote it, is very important. So, for instance, in a modern Western world, we would look at most non-fiction, or most texts, and we would want to say, where's the proof? Is this scientifically viable? Does this make sense to me in a rational, logical way? But the people who wrote the Bible didn't have that same lens. So, for instance, we look at the creation accounts of the world. They're not science. They're written beautifully poetically in the Hebrew. They have different orders and different emphasis. So, for instance, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, the order in which God creates things is different. And in Genesis 2... We don't have the same idea of God creating in sequential days in the way that we do in Genesis 1. So the question is more to ask, what truths were the writers of Genesis trying to convey to us, rather than, does this match the same standard I'd put it under if it was written today in the 21st century? Because I think if the Bible was written in the 21st century there would have been a greater desire to reveal to us the scientific truth behind what they're saying than I think it was important for them to do so in their day. I think another way in which we can misinterpret the Bible through our modern Western lens is when we think about things in terms of the individual. America, the UK, Europe, most of the world has created a very individualistic society. And every time that I listen to a sermon, or read my Bible, I find it very easy to go, alright, how does this affect me, the individual? But I believe that many people who wrote the Bible were actually talking about how does this affect we, the community, we, the people of Israel, we, the church. And there are multiple examples we could go to. I think one interesting example, I remember being taught by a guy called John Bevere once in his book, called Killing Kryptonite, is he talks about how Paul talks about communion in 1 Corinthians 11. And Paul talks about how people are abusing the meal of communion, where people are kind of kicking the poor people to the curb, they're making them sit in the worst seats, they're coming to the meal drunk, they're getting hungry, so they're eating the meal before they even come to communion. And... He says this is why some of you are sick and even dying, and we assume through our lens that the people who are abusing communion must be the ones who are getting sick, but I'm not sure that that is definitely what Paul is saying. I'm not sure he's saying you the individual did something, you the individual will have a consequence. I think he's more saying some of you the individuals in this group are doing things wrong and it is having a consequence on the collective. And when we talk about collective responsibility, if we think about the Bible in those terms, it completely radicalizes so many of the things that we read in it. So, yeah, I think reading with our lens and understanding our lens and trying to see their lens and what those people thought in that day is really important. My second point would be that the Bible was translated, and this is a really big deal. As I've said already, textual criticism is difficult, it's long-winded, it takes time, but it's incredibly fascinating, and as we found all these small differences in text, translation decisions, and other ancient literature from the same time, it has enriched our understanding of the Bible, and I don't really have time to go into that all now. But again, I'm just going to give you one example. So, I, in the past couple of years, have been learning Spanish, and I don't really speak it that well. My accent is terrible, but I have a relatively good understanding of the language, and one thing that was really fun was understanding the way that Spanish speakers put certain things that we English speakers wouldn't put it. So, for instance, there's a verb in Spanish called molestar and it means to annoy, to bother, all those kind of things, to get on someone's nerves. But the root word is the the same kind of root as the word to molest in English. But, as you'll know as a native English speaker, those of you who are, if I'm molesting someone, it has very different and slightly dark implications to if I'm bothering someone. A Spanish speaker might ask, are you molesting me or am I molesting you? And what they mean is something more innocent than what it might sound to an English speaker. So in the same way, the Bible can be written in which certain words had an implication then that it doesn't quite have the same implication now. And we need to be aware of that. In the same way as we need to be aware of, when I say it's raining cats and dogs, what I don't mean is that literal cats and dogs are falling from the sky. I mean that it's raining a lot. We naturally understand that because when we understand the English language, we pick up on those kinds of phrases. But none of us are natural Hebrew or Greek speakers from the ancient world because those languages in that form don't exist anymore. And therefore, it takes a lot of work to try and work that out. There's other complicated things. There's another really interesting and fascinating subject is the Hebrew word Elohim, which means God. But it also, as much as it can refer to God, as in Yahweh, creator God, it can refer to gods, as in other small g gods who exist on the earth. And it also refers to the divine council, which we find in... Psalms 82. And then it also is a word that's used to refer to the sons of God, slash the Nephilim, which turn up in Genesis 6 two, and rape a whole load of women, and cause a whole load of trouble. It's also a word that can be used to refer to angels and judges, and there are times when the word Elohim is translated into angelos, the Greek word for angel, and therefore we're not certain that that Greek word always means angel in the sense that we now know angel to mean. An example of this use of the word Elohim could be in Psalms 8.5. So, what I'm trying to say is that that word encompasses a lot of meaning and we, when we translate it into English, sometimes understand the word to mean different things to what maybe it could have meant at the time. And I don't think that means that all of our understanding is wrong. But I do think it means that our understanding has the potential to be wrong, and it's on our end, not the Bible's end. So sometimes people can misinterpret things on the Bible based on a language issue, and that doesn't take away from the Bible's divine inspiration, let's say, but it does potentially take away from our ability to understand it properly. So, those kind of sensitivities are just incredibly important. Something that is worth checking out is the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's a series of super ancient texts that they found in the 20th century, in the middle of the 20th century, and they filled out quite a lot of detail about the Jewish world that Jesus would have lived in and the Old Testament would have been written in, and helped us understand a lot more of the culture and the rules and the traditions. It also contained a lot of excerpts from the Bible and from the Old Testament, meaning that we have a very accurate picture these days of how to interpret and translate the Bible. We found that a lot of things that maybe we wouldn't have been super sure about, whether they were accurate, we found were accurate. Um, The Dead Sea Scrolls have just done a heavy amount of work in helping us to do textual criticism well. So if any of this that I'm saying piques your interest, then those are really worth checking out. I don't know a huge amount about them and really wish I did. So... It's a learning thing for me too, which is why I'm going to move on. So one other thing I just think is a real caveat to this second point is that not everything you hear when someone teaches about textual criticism or the original language will be accurate, fair or good. There is a huge onus on us, the people who want to understand this book well, that we do the work of interpreting the book well and researching into what people teach us about the Bible. There's many times when I hear someone say, oh, but actually the real word in Greek is this. And I'm not thinking you're wrong. I'm more thinking, if you were wrong, I would have no idea. So I think we have to just be sensitive to that, that when somebody uses authority to Say, I know Hebrew, I know Greek, I know this, it doesn't necessarily mean that they fully grasped everything. They might have a slightly better grasp than us, but their interpretation can still be biased, it can still have an agenda, it can still have a lens, and therefore, as much as all of this work is important, what I'm not trying to say is that we have to throw out all of our ideas for other ideas that come along claiming to understand the Hebrew or the Greek better than us. Because That's pretty dangerous, too, and that's why, as I'm saying, much of this is going to require us to use all of our minds rather than just take as read the things that we're taught. My final lesson to just say for now is that the Bible is far more captivating and fascinating than many of us think. It bugs me a little bit sometimes when I find people, either some atheists that I'll see, maybe prominent ones, who can throw out the Bible as boring or totally irrelevant, because I think that is pretty unfair to the genius of much of the work that has been done to create the Bible that we have today. And at the same time, it's also a little sad when I see Christians who read the Bible in a very basic way you know, we just use little tidbits of encouragement. You know, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. So great. I can just get on with my day knowing that God will help me to achieve all my dreams or everything I want to do. And I'm not saying that that is a totally wrong way to read the text. What I'm saying is that there is so much more depth to the way that we can read the Bible. And there are so many more layers of understanding God that I think can make us more excited about him. And sometimes I feel that our unwillingness to really tap into that can mean that we go through stages of stagnating in our faith, where we go, oh, it just seems so boring, everything's the same. And I'm like, yeah, it is, but that it's not the Bible's fault, it's our fault. It's the way we read it most of the time. And I think what's fascinating about all of this is that In this day and age where we have the internet, you have YouTube, you have sermons online, you have churches constantly producing content and scholars constantly producing content, we don't have to do a lot of the work here. So a lot of what I've said is to give you an understanding of the amount of work that goes into the Bible, but by no means is it saying you need to do all that work yourself. Instead, what I'm saying is look how many people have done this work for us. So when we engage with it, as we start to study what people have said about the language, as we listen to YouTube, as we go on to Hub and we look at little language studies that have been done, we find greater depth to the Bible than we probably imagined was possible. Something that I find totally criminal is the fact that nobody's had the idea to create like a Game of Thrones style Bible series on something like the story of David or some other kind of biblical story because there is so much intrigue in these stories. There is family feuds, there are battles, there's politics, there's murder, there's rape, there's theft, there's justice, there's injustice, there's kings and queens. There's so many incredible stories in the Bible and so many very profound things to learn about the human experience. Whether you're a Christian who wants to learn how to bring the Kingdom of God to the world, or whether you're just someone who is wanting to make a change to the world, or wants to understand humanity better, the Bible is one of the most profound texts that exists to be able to do that. And I think we sometimes steer away from it, because quite honestly, so many people who uh, use the Bible to make arguments and to engage in debates and to talk about issues often give us the impression that Christians don't really think. All they do is they take the Bible, they repeat things that are in it without any context or nuance or understanding and we just take what is read, we just do as we're told and we don't have the capacity or the willingness to think much. And that is really sad because I think, as I've said already, God made us in his image, which means he made us in the image of God to be able to create and to think and to process and understand and dialogue. And we see that through characters in the Bible as well as we see that principle kind of being just suggested by God himself. Also, I just think this book was written to be thought about. I think this book was written to be wrestled with and the fact that we have people who've redacted the text, who've edited it, who have studied the translation, who have made certain choices, who have tried to put it into different languages reveals to us that many people have thought about it. They've really thought about it and it's our job as modern day people to put in that work as well, to really think about this text. What is it trying to say? What is its importance? And Many of the things I talk about, I mean, this next series is mostly going to be foundational understanding the Bible kind of talks. But the reason I'm doing it is because so many things I want to talk about later, if we're going to talk about politics, entertainment, the media, social issues, international issues, anything else we talk about, the chances are that I will want to bring some perspective from the Bible into some of those conversations. And to do that well, I need to be able to try my best to understand the Bible for all that it is, not just what I want it to be. So, I think what I'm trying to say is that exploring the possibilities, having permission to say, hmm, I wonder if this is really true. I wonder if this is right. As we do that, as we give ourselves permission to ask questions, I don't think we should see that as being automatically red flag or heretical or that you're losing your faith instead i think it's that you are wrestling with your faith in a way that you're growing it you're maturing it you're strengthening it i think it takes away from the power of the canon when we start saying but what do the non-canonical texts say and why aren't they in there and what makes them more authoritative than these it's not to say we'll come to a conclusion that the canon is wrong i think it means that we are honestly wrestling with what's in front of us, rather than denying its existence in order to have an easier faith and an easier life. Because a life of faith isn't easy. Because the Bible ultimately isn't an answer manual for Christians. It's not the dictionary. Because reading the dictionary, or reading an instruction manual, it's not interesting. It's not beautiful. It just says, hammer the nail into the wood and you do it. That's not the Bible. The Bible is Intricacy, it's poetry, it's like a movie. It's like it's a piece of art that is put in front of you and said, understand me, think about me, let me dwell in your mind, meditate on me, ask people about me, ask God about me, spend time studying me and thinking through everything that I am and everything that I'm saying, and I will teach you things. I will unveil things to you that you hadn't realized it fascinates me that Jesus told a lot of parables in his teaching and there's one point when his disciples come to him and say oh Jesus your parables don't make a lot of sense to us and he says basically yeah they don't because I'm deliberately confusing people because I want to see who will come to fully try and understand and I don't think he was like I'm trying to put people off there I think he was saying I'm piquing your interest will you come Will you pursue? I think the Bible is there to do the same thing. It piques our interest and it asks us this question, will you pursue? Will you go deeper? Will you be prepared to be wrong? And in this day and age, that is something that people struggle with or aren't always willing to do. So, yes, 100%. This is an authoritative text, I fully believe it, and Christians should and do interpret their lives through their understanding of the Bible. All of this is good, but therefore ensuring that we understand it and ensuring that we are engaging with things such as textual criticism and translations and the fact that this was written by people, it wasn't just written directly on the ground by God. All of these things are really important and my hope is that over the next four weeks I'm going to whet your appetite for why this book is so important, why it's so powerful. Next week we're going to have a look at the power of storytelling and why I think the Bible tells so many powerful stories, how we should engage with them and what we should be thinking about as we come away from them and ponder on them. So that's where we're going. And yeah, thank you so much for joining today. It's been a pleasure as ever to talk to you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. As I said previously, if you would be willing to share this with your friends or family on your social media pages, I would be so, so grateful for being able to try and get this out to more people. There's nothing more that I can do. And as I said, if the content isn't good, it won't get listeners, but if it is, there's nothing more I can do. So please send me your feedback. My email is with all your mind at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook with all your mind. You can find me on Instagram with all your mind with underscores underneath or between the words. And yeah, come and join in the conversation. If you've got questions, if there's more you want to know, if there's things you are interested in me talking about to do with the Bible, then Please get in touch, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts and your questions, and hopefully this will be a place where we can start to dialogue together. But, for now, just remember that not everything that I've said today is 100% certified fact, but it is something to think about, and something to think about with all your mind. So you guys have a good week, and I'll see you soon.